From the 15th floor of the Energy Building, this is GNR Airtime, the podcast that explores the current trends from emerging and well-established industries hosted by the lawyers of GNR. This podcast is for general guidance only and does not constitute definitive advice. Welcome to GNR Airtime. My name is Bagus Wicaksono. I have here my colleagues with me, Riyandi Apriliansha and Pratama Sukirno. Hi guys. Alright, so before we begin guys, I think we need to start with unpacking the jargon of fintech itself. Because, well, it is thrown around a lot and we've heard of e-money, e-wallet, parking with electronic money. So what does this really mean, Riyandi? So I think by fintech, it generally means the use of technology in financial activity. Okay. So that, yeah, but legally, I think it needs to uh, satisfy certain elements uh, set out by the regulators. By the regulator means uh, Bank of Indonesia and OJK, or Indonesian Financial Services Authority. All right, can you just first explain what's the difference between the OJK and the Bank Indonesia? So yeah, Bank Indonesia is basically in charge of monetary uh, and payment system. So that's why uh, it regulates uh, e-money, payment processing, and fund transfer. Okay. While OJK, on the other hand, is in charge of financial services in gen- in more general sense. So that's why the P2P lending and the equity core funding is regulated by OJK rather than uh, Bank Indonesia. All right. You mentioned that there are elements that need to be complied with. What are those? So basically, there are three. First is the innovative in nature. Uh, second, it has to have an um, impact on existing products, services, uh, technology, or business model. Mm-hmm. And the third one, it, it should be used uh, widely. Right. So, well, those are very broad, I think. W- don't you think it would create issues? Well, since the regulator can just broadly interpret each of the elements right, when it, in terms of when they want to issue certain licenses. Yes, th- that's, that's correct. So basically, it's uh, problematic from the perspective of the players mm-hmm. because previously the authorities uh, would strictly limit their authority uh, for the activities that qualify or correspond with the specific elements set out in the regulation. So they will be constricted, limited by, by that definition. Okay. But with this new approach, uh, specifically through mandatory fintech registration and sandbox mechanism, now the regulators can, you know, be more flexible in determining which activities fall under fintech and uh, which activity that are not. Ah, all right. Peeling more on the uh, elements. The key here seems to be the innovation, I think. So what does this really mean, this innovation thing? Yes, uh, yeah, it, it's quite a broad term and I think it's, it's purposely so. And I think given how technology and businesses often you know, move ahead of, of law, I think Purposefully, you need this uh, sort of broad definition, but you know you would interpret generally innovation as you know, being something new, and I guess in commercial term, terms, sort of you know being disruptive to how uh, the status quo is. Uh, that's why, as uh, Riandi mentioned, uh, there is this new system of, of what, what's called sandboxing, where really when the regulators don't know specifically what category uh, you fall into, mm-hmm. uh, you be put in there and, and in, in which regulators then will see you know, how that industry develops, which, which in a way gives you know, a greater flexibility for the players. But I think just to sort of ease um, you know, or, or put things into boxes, um, we generally categorize 
you know, fintech into sort of several boxes of, you know, one being e-money and payment processing. Okay. Uh, secondly, sort of fundraising in which, you know, as mentioned by Riyandi, uh, peer-to-peer lending, equity crowdfunding. Uh, thirdly, I think we'll put in a different box as well, cryptocurrency. And lastly, uh, supporting fintech uh, industries such as, you know, EKYC or, you know, e-signatures. Uh, those sorts of things. Um, you know, those are by no means exhaustive, mm-hmm. but I think it just sort of gives a, a useful guide. I think um, in sort of categorizing uh, fintech in Indonesia. Right. Okay. So, essentially, fintech then is not just payment or e-money, right? Yep. yep. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it is broader, but I think um, the purposes of this particular episode, I think, we'll be focusing on e-money and, and payment mechanisms in particular. Uh, we'll obviously have other episodes as well to dive deeper into some of the other areas of fintech. Before we dive deeper into the e-money itself, I think it's also important to just have a adequate look at the development, at the history of the e-money itself. Can you, well, both of you, can you just both take us briefly through then uh, how this new payment developed from a regulatory perspective? Yeah, I think just going back, Iman is actually not that recent. We can trace it back to the early 2000s, actually, uh, because mm. we, we see that you know, Bank Indonesia has actually issued regulations in 2004 regarding e-money. That's you know, almost, what, uh, 15 years ago or so. Uh, but really, when we talk about fintech now, what, what we really associate um, sort of e-money and payment is really over the past three years or so. Okay. Uh, where we've seen really uh, the growth of you know internet access, uh, mobile phones have been accessible to most Indonesians, uh, and and really there where we've seen the growth of of other uh, you know technologies and and uh, you know businesses such as you know e-retail, you know ride-hailing, uh, all of these coincide as well with uh, you know e-money. E-money's growth in, in recent years, and we can see OJK, for example, in 2016 uh, passed uh, regulations on payment processing. Um, in 2017, uh, you know, they, they passed regulations on payment gateways and and sort of fintech innovation. So really, uh, these are quite recent developments, you know, right. which you know, over the past three years, we've we've seen uh, quite a lot of growth. Okay, so just taking a step back from the legal perspective itself, what do we mean by e-money, Randy? Could you call? Well, let, let's just say I have a voucher that I can top up with. Can can I call it an, an e-money or uh, how does it work actually? So fundamentally, it basically depends on the form of the voucher, right? Okay. If this voucher is stored and managed electronically, mm-hmm. then it is e-money. But I think the the next question would be. Whether that e-money needs to be licensed by OJK or BI or not. All right. So what's the what's the threshold? For exa- for just to put things in perspective, if I have a voucher for 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 a restaurant, and then I can just top up the voucher, and then I can just buy coffee or just buy food from that specific restaurant. It's it's definitely considered as e-money, right? But you mentioned that the next question would be whether or not it needs to be licensed. So what's actually the threshold? So basically, let's say it is electronically managed, right? So mm-hmm. you put your money and you get some cards mm-hmm. or a pin, and with that card or pin, you can you know purchase the food right. in that store. So basically, it's e-money since it is electronically stored. But the next question would be: 
how much does the issuer or the e-money issuer uh, manage the fund? If it's more than one billion, so let's say you and other people uh, have uh, transferred more than one billion rupiah, then the issuer needs to obtain a license from uh, Bank Indonesia. Still using the voucher as an example, I think there are also differences in the types of the voucher, right? There are, there are vouchers that we can just use at one specific store uh, where we can just purchase goods from that actual store. And there are other types of voucher that we can use uh, in multiple places. Yes, so, so yeah, so that's basically uh, referred to as closed loop and open loop, basically. So by closed loop, it, it can be used to purchase the service or goods that f from the issuer itself. So let's say from the uh, Kereta Api Indonesia, you can only buy and use for the service that is sold by the, uh, the train, uh, yeah, train company. Uh, so previously the closed loop uh, does not need any license, but now the regulation does not distinguish between open loop and closed loop. So even if you are closed loop system, if you manage more than one billion, then technically you have to have uh, the license. Previously, it's not so only open loop uh, kind of things that needs to be uh, licensed. Okay, so we've heard the term e-money a lot, but we've also heard e-wallet. How are they different? E-money and e-wallet are two different things. So basically, e-money you can see it as your money, but it is electronically stored. Mm -hmm. While e-wallet you can see it as your wallet, but in the form of electronic instrument. So this means in e-wallet you can store the information of your debit or credit card as well as your e-money. So still on the e-money subject, there are also other products that are usually associated with the payment activity. From EDC when you swap your card or devices when you can just tap your card on, or devices that provide mechanism for QR scanning. What are those actually? So basically what you mentioned are called uh, POP or point of purchase. So okay. basically the way you purchase it, whether you swipe your card in the EDC, whether you tap your card or you just picture your, the QR code. So that's the means of payment. Definitely not an e-money because you can pay uh, using those three activities with your credit card, with your debit card and with your e-money. So that's the distinction. Right. From now, from the perspective of the business player, actually. So, say I'm a foreign investor that I want to enter the Indonesian market specifically on the fintech industry. In this case, e-money industries. Are there any restriction for the shareholding composition, or or are, is there any lockup period that we need to comply with? Yeah. So, there's a few sort of restrictions that you know investor would would need to bear in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when they're considering into entering this business. Uh, first of which, from a foreign ownership restriction perspective, there's a 49% uh, maximum cap for foreign ownership. There's still some lack of clarity whether or not, you know, this you know, 49% is sort of a, a, you know, is a direct or indirect uh, foreign ownership um, sort of restriction. Um, there's sort of good argument to say that it should be indirect, but you know this is you know, certainly a point where it's you know um, still you know not clear. Uh, and and the other consideration as well um, with regards to sort of the the investment aspect is if if you you know obtain an e-money license, there is a restriction in changing the controlling shareholder. 
uh, within a five-year period since the issuance. Uh, you know, essentially, this is sort of a lockup period, and right. basically, sort of rationale from from Bank Indonesia is you know, they don't want you know companies just getting licenses and then selling the company off and sort of becoming a, a brokerage um, sort of you know, business, right. and and really they want the uh, grantee of the the license to really conduct you know, e-money activity. Right. Still on the e-money topic. So there are actually specific issues that I personally am interested in knowing. What happens to the money when they are being stored in an electronic form? And then how does it make a profitable business for the company? Basically, you know, the money that are stored is basically free money, you know, mm. for, for the e-money issuer because they don't have to pay any interest to those customers. So they can use it for their, as, the, as the free money. Previously, they can use the stored money to finance their operation, okay. to acquire company or for their uh, uh, expansion activity. But now, since 2018, uh, there is a regulation coming in which limits what they can do with the stored money. Now, basically, 30% of it needs to be stored in large uh, commercial banks or so-called oh, okay. bank. So okay. the remaining 70% needs to be uh, safe in the government uh, bonds. So basically, uh, in that activity itself, they earn money because you, you, you will incur uh, interest from the deposits and you will have some coupons from the government security. But, you know, it's not as, as, as interesting as before because it's more restricted in that area. So, Tama, we've seen increasingly in the market that e-money is usually tied up with certain related services or uh, ecosystems. Like, for example, for my daily commuting, usually when I'm taking the toll or taking the highway, there's certain, there's not certain, definitely I'm going to have to use certain e-money product. Now, from the consumer perspective, being essentially forced to have such certain e-money, is that legal? So when we talk about you know, tying and, and the concept of you know, forcing consumers to um, you know, use certain products, you we're really talking about you know, consumer protection and also the aspect of you know, anti-competition and sort of you know, antitrust issues. Uh, well, well, really, there's, there's two things really where, where we see this uh, in, in the e-money space. Mm -hmm. um, first, uh, you know, we, we've seen this first when uh, you know, the government uh, basically mandated that you know, tall roads, you know, the, the way you pay uh, has to be through e-money basically right. and certain banks that, that provided uh, those services. Um, and there really was you know, a sort of uh, a little bit of a backlash from, from at least certain uh, you know, um, NGOs you know, and, and certain parties that, that felt that that was against you know, um, firstly, currency law, which, you know, the currency law mandates that you can't refuse rupiah. Right. Uh, and basically the argument was that because you didn't want to accept cash, you're essentially breaching the currency law where you're, you're you know, you have to use uh, e-money in that circumstance. Uh, you know, th this argument really is, you know, the other side, I guess, is that, you know, they're not, refusing money per se, the rupiah per se, but they're you know, just accepting uh, rupiah as well, but in, in uh, e-money form. Uh, that's, that's sort of the counter argument, I guess, from, from Bank Indonesia and you know, from the government. Uh, 
but but coming back again to the concept of, of tying, uh, you know, in particular for, for this aspect of, of toll roads and using of use of e-money, uh, we think that this is less of, of, of a risk now, uh, especially that this is sort of a, a government-mandated uh, you know, project and, and sort of the, the wider movement to go to a cashless society. So in that respect, um, you know, it's, it's much more settled in that area. In fact, we've seen uh, a few court cases in the Supreme Court and even in the Constitutional Court, mm -hmm. you know, which in essence you know, rejected some of the claims uh, related to that. Right. Uh, but I guess the other aspect where you know, it's a little bit more sensitive is you know, with private actors. You know, for example, you know, we see it in, in certain parking lots. You know, you, to, to pay for your parking, you need to use you know, certain e-money apps uh, now that that's where you know, there's sort of uh, a little bit of a risk there, where you know the government can see it as as you taking advantage of, of consumers and, and forcing them to use a certain uh, application, and 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 there we we've seen also some mitigants there, where essentially there is still the option to pay with cash, mm -hmm. but then the cash is paid to you know the you know the, the clerk in inside the mall, for yeah. example, uh, but you just can't. You know, pay cash when you you know are going outside uh, uh, you know the, the parking lot. Right. So we've discussed about the history and the development of the e-money. We've also discussed the, about the specific issues, uh, the current specific issues surrounding e-money. So I think one of the key uh, aspects that we need to also cover is actually the future development of e-money. Just very short to wrap things up. How do you see this industry and regulation on e-money developing? I think from the industry perspective, it still provides more room to grow. Okay. So from the players, uh, still it, it will be competitive uh, to be certain, but it's still uh, still a lot of rooms to grow. Uh, from the merchant and the customers, we will enjoy more and more uh, ease of use of this e-money. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, what about the regulator uh, regulation perspective? Yeah, I think the government generally is very supportive of you know this concept of a cashless society. Mm. So there will be, I think, further ease uh, in the regulations and sort of the government actively supporting uh, this business. Um, just to take things broader, uh, you know, the the government and OJK is talking about you know passing the new law on fintech. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, we we hope to see positive things coming out of that uh, because you know ultimately. Government's goal, and you know what we hope is, is to reach you know sort of a quote unquote you know cashless society in Indonesia. Mm -hmm.